Lord is a God who avenges. O God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up, judge of the earth. Pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long, Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the foreigner. They murder the fatherless. They say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob takes no notice. Take notice, you senseless ones among the people, you fools. When will you become wise? Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who forms the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches mankind lack knowledge? The Lord knows all human plans. He knows that they are futile. Blessed is the one you discipline, Lord, the one you teach from your law. You grant them relief from days of trouble till a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. Judgments will again be found on righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Can a corrupt throne be allied with you? A throne that brings on misery by its decrees? The wicked band together against the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my fortress and my God, the rock in whom I take refuge. He will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord our God will destroy them. Well, good evening, everybody. Lovely to see you in church uh, this evening. And Angela was quite right whenever she said that the Psalms that we're looking at over the next few weeks have great promises from God. Uh, And maybe surprisingly tonight, God's great promise is that the wicked will be destroyed. Uh, Before we look at our Psalm, let's pray together, shall we? Uh, Father, Lord in heaven, we thank you, God, that as we open your words, Lord, that you speak to us that these words are not just words written down, but inspired by your Spirit to give life to us. We pray, God, that our hearts would be opened, that our minds would be awake. We pray, God, that we would hear exactly what you're trying to say, Lord. And as we deal with this difficult topic tonight, this uh, sore point, something that's maybe hard for us to hear, we pray, God, that you would give us wisdom, that we would be led into all truth, 
that none of us here would be deceived about you, Lord, that we would know your gospel and we would know your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you've got a Bible, uh, keep it open. If you've got it on, on a phone, that is uh, totally fine. Keep that out in front of you because we'll be calling down some of the verses as we go. How long, Lord? How long will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? This psalm I'm reading tonight that Edward has just read, that sentence that I have just reread, it's hundreds of years old, but yet it could be written about today. You'd be excused of thinking that this line was written about the events that have just taken past in the past week. Stabbings in London, the murder of a baby in Belfast, another murder of a five-year-old boy in Wales, continuing news of COVID scams cheating the elderly out of their life savings, ongoing race and policing issues in America. Zoom out of our current news and take a look at the general state of our world, and this sentence could be about any day, any decade, any century that our world has known. The hatred that people have for each other, the bombings, the killings, the attacks throughout human history, the social inequality, poverty, racial injustice, abortion, forced prostitution, human trafficking. Sadly, none of those things are new to our world. If there's something that our world needs, it's justice. Maybe that's something that you feel as you watch the news at night. Maybe it's something you feel when you turn off the news and you think about the injustice in your own life. That boss who takes your time, your energy for granted. That family member who makes fun of you for your faith. It's something that we should feel, this feeling of injustice whenever we hear of any Christian being persecuted around the world in places like North Korea, Libya, Afghanistan. The cry of, oh Lord, how long will the wicked be jubilant is something we should shout whenever we hear of another Christian leader exposed as a wolf who has terrorized God's people through deception, lies, and manipulation. And in fact, it's in that context that we see our psalm this evening, in the context that the wicked are actually the leaders of God's people. I think verses 8, 20, and 21 point to that. Over the course of Judah and Israel's history, they have 44 kings. You can read about them in the book, surprisingly called First and Second Kings. And if you read them, you will see that each one gets a judgment. And out of that 44 kings, only seven, it is said, that are good kings. That leaves 37 wicked kings that reign over God's people. Fast forward to the days of Jesus, and it's the king who tells the soldiers to execute the baby boys around Bethlehem. It's the religious leaders who plot assassinations. I was thinking about the plot to kill Jesus last week, and the thought came to me, I wonder how many other times did the Pharisees kill their political rival, those who got too close to stealing their limelight? And the question on this, the cry of this psalm is verse 16. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will stand for justice whenever the crown, the court, and sometimes the church is corrupt? Who will see the wicked repaid for their sin, their wickedness, their crimes, when the leaders of God's people turn their back? Who will destroy the wicked when they seem so powerful, so untouchable, when they get away with their wicked deeds? The answer, it's the Lord. 
the judge, the judge of all the earth, the judge of the wicked, the judge of you, the judge of me, when all other judges fail to stop injustice, whenever they fail to reign in the wicked, we call on the Lord who is judge over all. Have a look at verse 1. The psalm starts with that cry of justice, that the God of vengeance would rise up and judge the world. The ESV translation of the Bible begins by saying, O God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. A strong reminder for us that God is the God of vengeance, that vengeance does belong to Him. And here it's important to remember that God's vengeance isn't like our vengeance. While we might seek revenge for pretty trivial things, while we might be overzealous in dealing out punishment, we need to remember whenever we talk about God being judge, that God is fair, that His punishment and His justice is right and it's appropriate. When God judges, He always does it fairly. And that will be important when we think about ourselves a little bit later. And the cry that our psalmist gives at the very start is a cry for God to leap into action. But why is he praying this? Because sometimes it might feel to the psalmist and even to us that God stands idly by while the powerful trample on the weak. That God maybe does nothing to destroy the wicked. That there is no justice in this world. And that can be one of the biggest apologetic questions that Christians face. How can you believe in God when there's so much suffering in the world? Why do bad people get away with doing bad things? We know as head knowledge that God is the judge of all, but sometimes watching the 10 o'clock news, sometimes living in a, a fallen world, we do begin wondering when there's so much injustice around us, we do maybe think, is God working? Is God going to sort this out? Or Samus knows that God is judge, but he sits and he watches the wicked prosper. Have a look in verses 4 to 7. He sees them prosper. He sees them boast about their wickedness. They show no remorse, and he wonders. As God's people, God's chosen, precious, beloved people are crushed, he wonders. As widows and foreigners are murdered, as babies are killed, as the weak slay the strong, the destruction of the vulnerable, or Samus wonders, what is God doing? Why is there a delay? Why are the wicked people getting away with this? And this idea that the psalmist have that there is no judgment for the wicked people also catch on with the wicked people. Have a look at verse 7 again. They say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob takes no notice. These wicked people are doing wicked things, and for them there seems no consequences, no retribution. So they begin to believe that maybe they're outside of God's judgment. They begin to think that God does not see what they do. Whenever we think, or whenever we start to think that there is no God, or that we have no God that we are accountable to, all morality goes out the window. We live how we want, and we do what we want. We live by our own wicked rules. So as we read through these verses, it's no wonder that the author of this psalm is so upset, that he's so agitated. No wonder he cries out, how long, O Lord? The psalmist turns his attention away from God and speaking to God, and he speaks now in verse 8 directly to the wicked people. You think the Lord doesn't hear you or see you or know what you do? You think that he's not interested? You think that he doesn't exist? Then you need to wise up. 
you foolish, arrogant, stupid people. You think that you are wise, boasting in your evil deeds, but you're so foolish. The fool says in his heart, there is no God who can judge me. You think God who made your ear that he can't hear? You think that the God who made your eyes can't see wickedness, the God who made sight that he cannot see? Do you not remember how God judged the nations before? Do you not remember what happened in Egypt when all the Egyptians and their army was washed away by the sea? Do you not remember how the Philistines were defeated? In a nutshell here, the psalmist says that if you think that God will not judge you, then you are a fool. I heard uh, another preacher liken this section to a game of hide-and-seek with a child. Uh, you know, when kids are, are young, they like to play hide-and-seek. It's often pretty good fun. Uh, they hide, you count, they hide. They often hide in the same room under a curtain with their feet sticking out, and they often giggle that you uh, can't find them. Uh, and it's a little bit like that, because they're so easy and obvious to find. These wicked people are in the same situation. They hide in plain sight from God. They're like silly, naive children laughing that, God, you can't find me you'll never get me for my wickedness. Verse 11, the Lord knows all human plans and he knows that they are futile. Not only are the wicked being foolish here, but so would we be if we thought that God does not know, that God does not care about how we act or how we live. We would be just as foolish if we thought that any of us here this evening could hide our wickedness or hide our sin from God. If you ever think that you can hide something from the living God, then think again, because you can't. Justice will catch up with absolutely everyone. And isn't that a good thing? That no evil thought, no evil action, no evil deed, not one instance of injustice will go unnoticed or unpunished. Praise God that he does hear that he does see, that he does know everything that goes on. Praise him as the good, fair judge of the earth, and from him no evil deer will ever escape. So, so far in our psalm, we've learned that God is judge of all, that even though they might think it, the wicked and their actions aren't hidden or ignored by him. And this is maybe a good time to think about ourselves. Not that we are identical to these wicked people, and not necessarily that we do the same things as these people do in this psalm, these people that crush and kill. But we have a confession in our service tonight for a reason. Because we know that our hearts can be extremely wicked. That we know that without the grace and forgiveness that God gives, that if we face God in judgment, if God were to repay us for our deeds, then we would get off no louder than these wicked men we read about in this psalm. Maybe tonight there's something in your life, a sin, a wickedness that you think God will never judge you for. If you're not trusting in Christ, this psalm would say that you are a fool. A hard one to hear, but one you need to hear. Because the only way that we can escape certain judgment, the only way that we can be blessed with, uh, and not damned, according to verse 12, is to submit to God's discipline to read his laws, his words, and to allow ourselves to be disciplined by them. And the psalmist picks up a word from verse 10. So verse 10 and verse 12 is the same word, discipline. 
that it's God who disciplined the nations is the same God who disciplines those who trust in him. And it's kind of surprising, isn't it, that the reward you get for trusting in God is to be disciplined. And the truth of this verse is something like this, that it's through our experience of living in this fallen world, it's through our experience of injustice and heartache, it's living life in an unfair, unequal world, that for a while it seems that the oppressors win, where it seems that the wicked people prosper, that it's when God's law, God's promises, and God's word become even more precious and sustaining to us. It's in those times in which we as Christians are called to follow God's ways, His laws, while we wait for Him to bring justice on the world, that as we wait for Him, we are made holy and purified. Not only from this psalm are we to pray, O Lord, how long? But we're also to pray, O Lord, teach me your law. O Lord, discipline me. God's people submit themselves to him, his ways and his laws, even while the wicked rejoice in their sin, knowing that judgment is coming on them. God's grace is seen in this passage in that verse, but reminded in the next verse that judgment is coming on those who are wicked, that a pit is being dug, and one day that pit will be finished, and one day all those who commit injustice will be thrown into it. But there's more encouragement to see in our psalm this evening. Verses 16 and 19 are a personal testimony of our psalmist, and he tells us of a tough time in his own life, that in and through this trying circumstance that he finds himself in, the psalmist knows God's comfort and God's love. And verse 19 is particularly beautiful, isn't it? When the cares, the worries, and the troubles of this man's heart are overwhelming, when he's sure he's going under, when he's sure his foot is slipping, God's steadfast love holds him up, supports him, and comforts him. Maybe tonight you can relate to this man's struggle in this psalm. If you can, then I would encourage you to go home this evening and reread these words. Read these inspired words and drink of the same comfort that God gives that he offers to anyone of his people who find himself in that situation. Now, our psalm ends with a final promise of God's justice. The psalmist rem remembers the sin of the wicked, that they plot that they band together and they kill the righteous, that they condemn the innocent to death, a prophecy that will be truly realized in the person of Jesus, the only innocent, truly righteous man who will be taken by a group banded together of Pharisees and Romans in his day. Yet, as the psalmist remembers the wickedness of those around him, as Jesus dies on the cross full of compassion and grace, seeking to forgive and to reconcile a wicked world to a holy God, both Jesus and both the psalmist know that all unwickedness will not go unpaid or unavenged. The author here and Jesus knows that God will bring back on the wicked, verse 22, their own iniquity, that he will destroy them for their wickedness, that God will destroy the wicked. And as we've said tonight, while that might be a hard thing to get our heads around, it is a good thing. Because don't we rejoice whenever we see an earthly injustice met with earthly justice? 
Don't we rejoice whenever we see a murderer put behind bars or uh, an earthly justice brought about in a satisfying way? Well, how much more satisfying then will heavenly justice be? Whenever every sin, whenever every wicked deed is repaid, whenever the secret hidden actions of the wicked are seen, whenever justice will be brought on those people who have never faced a human court, whenever the wickedness that's been poured out on the innocent, on the frail, on the weak, on the unborn, on the homeless, on the helpless, is brought to bear on the wicked. Isn't that good? But maybe for some of us here tonight, that day of judgment that is coming might also be a little bit terrifying as well. Because, as we've said before, none of us are without sin. None of us are counted holy and righteous without Jesus' atoning death. A common misconception that has been around for a very long time, and one that worryingly is gaining huge attraction, particularly in America, is that the God of the Old Testament, the God of judgment, is a God of judgment. But thankfully, that God of judgment in the Old Testament uh, is uh, switched out for a new God in the New Testament, Jesus, who's only full of love and grace. And yes, while Jesus does come with love and grace, Jesus says that he will come again. And when he does come again, it will be in judgment. The God that says in this psalm that he will repay the wicked what they are due is the Lord Jesus. And everyone who has ever lived will meet Jesus whether they want to or not. Either they will meet Jesus as their judge who will condemn them to the pit of the wicked or as their saviour who has rescued them from it. Jesus died on the cross so that you might not face him in judgment. He took the wrath that you deserve. You would do well and good this evening, like verse 22 tells us, that if you make him your refuge in that coming day, that day of judgment, that you would be safe, that you would not be wiped out by that wrath. And that's a fate that you can change here and right now. Whether you're hearing this clearly for the first time in your life or whether you've heard the gospel a hundred times, this psalm urges, not only condemns the wicked, to hand their life to Jesus, submit to his discipline, trust in his death and resurrection, that you might be safe when he comes to judge the world. Tonight, if you have any questions about that, if you need any more help in understanding what this psalm says or what the gospel is, then please uh, talk to me uh, or talk to Polly or talk to Simon or, or Edward this evening. But let's close our time looking at this psalm in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the almighty promise that you will judge the wicked. And that all those wicked people that you judge will, will deserve it, Lord. We pray here tonight, God, that not one of us in this building would be judged wicked on that day. But, Lord, that we all and each would be trusting in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that we might be saved from the wrath to come. We pray, God, that each of us here would further submit ourselves to your discipline, to your law, to your word, Lord, that we might love it, that we might enjoy it, that we might live right and proper lives in your sight. 
And we pray, God, until that day comes, Lord, that we might know your steadfast love that holds us up when our feet feel like they're going to slip. We praise you tonight, Lord, for being the God of vengeance. In Jesus' name, amen.